Titus chapter 3, we're going to look at some verses here, verses 4 through 7, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, let's read these verses in unison together, pausing briefly at the punctuation marks, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, the word of God says, But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for these powerful verses. Thank you for the word of God that's inspired, preserved, incorruptible, indestructible. And Lord, that it still speaks today through all these ages. And I pray that you'd help us to understand a little bit more the depth and breadth and height of your love and your work in us through a so great salvation. I pray if there's someone under the sound of my voice that's not saved, that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray that you'd help the saints to uh, further and deeper to love you and appreciate what you did for us on the cross. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Some of you'll remember that uh, last year, we had a sermon series entitled The Beauty of Salvation. And we went through different aspects of salvation, the different salvation doctrines, and we talked about that salvation is not just a a wonderful gift and it's not just a practical theology, but it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, The most beautiful story ever told was that God loved you and that he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for you so that, that you could go to heaven. I mean, that's the greatest love story ever told. And it's, it's got a happy ending. Uh, praise God for that. Uh, and as I was reviewing some of those notes and, and seeing how we could use them in the future, the Lord brought to my attention that there are three other aspects of the beauty of salvation that I didn't cover. And that's one thing I love about studying the Bible. You know, as the deeper you study it, the better it gets. Uh, That's why, for those of you that think the Word of God is boring, it's because you don't know it very well. If you think the Word of God is is just an old ancient book that's dead, it's because you don't know it very well. The Bible's a lot like God. To know Him is to love Him. And to know your Bible is to love your Bible. To have it speak to you and and reach places in you that uh, that nothing else can. Uh, The Word of God is beautiful. And so today I want to talk about this aspect of salvation, the beauty of salvation in this doctrine, regeneration. The doctrine of regeneration demonstrates the beauty of salvation. Also, it reveals the depth of the change that occurs when we were born again. And so in this simple Bible message, I want to take a look at what is regeneration? Why do we need it? How do we get it? And why is it important? And I think it will be a blessing to each one of us. Now, regeneration is a Christian term used as a synonym for the words salvation and conversion, especially if you read older theologians, you'll hear them use the term regeneration a lot. 
Uh, maybe you'll talk about, you'll hear a preacher talk about regenerated people or whenever you get regenerated. Uh, regeneration is a term that's synonymous with salvation. Uh, and that's okay. It's a perfectly fine use of the word. But I want to show you this morning that when you examine the subtle differences between the words regeneration and conversion and salvation, that this word regeneration illuminates a beautiful truth about salvation and even goes a little bit deeper into the work that God accomplished in us uh, through salvation. Regeneration is related to the doctrine of conception. Now remember the first doctrine we talked about in the beauty of salvation was this doctrine of conception. It had the idea of being born again. We're born into the family of God, just like a, a father and mother conceive a child, that miracle that happens in the womb of a lady uh, where there was nothing and now all of a sudden there's life. Not just new cells, not just new DNA, but a new life, a new soul, conception. Uh, this is the same thing that happens to us when we're born again. We were dead, but we're conceived through a miracle of God, and now we who were dead are alive unto God. We've been born again, and God becomes our Father. Conception emphasizes our renewed relationship with the Heavenly Father. Regeneration goes a little bit deeper, and it highlights our brand new nature as His child. So conception talks about the relationship. Regeneration focuses on our new nature. Uh, they both are a part of salvation and can be used interchangeably, but regeneration goes a little bit deeper. Now, what is regeneration? We turn to one of my favorite resources, the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Now, some of you are tired of hearing me say that. You say, Preacher, why do you use such an old dictionary? First of all, I love old books. Amen? You go down to my office, I've got old books. Uh, I held a book in my hand last night, an old Bible that was printed in 1867. And I just love it. You think about it. Here's a Bible that someone was reading not too long after the Civil War. A lot of history here. I've got Bibles and books in my office. From There's one book about D.L. Moody I looked at yesterday. It was printed in 1900. And so I love old books. But there's a, a deeper reason why we choose this dictionary. The Webster's 1828 Dictionary uh, gives us English definitions of words that are more closely aligned to what the Bible meant when it was translated into English. And so you know English is a, a living language. It's constantly changing. You know, in the 90s, we'd say, hey, man, that's bad. Well, for most of human history, that meant it was bad. Well, we meant it was good. Hey, man, that's cool. Really? It's cold to the touch? No, you know, it's cool, man. Dude? What's a dude, you know? Uh, th there's all kinds of English words that change over time. The Webster's 1828 Dictionary takes a photograph of what the English language meant uh, back closer to whenever your King James Bible was, was translated. And so it's a wonderful resource just to get a quick and simple definition of Bible words. So <clears throat> according to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, the word regeneration means reproduction, the act of producing anew. He goes on to say, in theology, new birth by the grace of God. By the way, it's another reason why I love Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Did you know Webster was a born-again Christian? He's got a wonderful testimony. 
A matter of fact, in his old dictionaries, before they began to filter them, a lot of uh, the, the definitions had Bible terminology and even Bible verses as illustrations of how the words were used. And so again, another reason why I love this. And he even has, under this definition, our text verse in Titus 3.5, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so regeneration basically means to make new, the act of producing new, to be renewed or to be regenerated or regened. And I'll show you what that means. Now, the word regeneration is found only two times in Scripture. So this is a, a word that God chose to use in a very limited way and only two examples. Let me show them to you here. We'll come back to Titus chapter 3. Look at Matthew chapter 19. And look at verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and have followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus, verse 28, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. So uh, a powerful question. Lord, we've given up everything. I left my business. People think I'm a kook for following you. As, uh, what's our inheritance? And you know, you're going to have those thoughts one of these days. You know, You could be out living in pleasure, or trying to make money or, or whatever you want to do, what do we get for serving God? Well, first of all, he saved us, amen? So that's, that's good enough. But then he goes on to say, uh, when you forsake something here, it's like an investment into eternity, and God has blessings a hundredfold, a hundred times. Uh, so a wonderful thing. But here, let's pull out this word regeneration. Jesus said that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, so the regeneration, he's talking about when all things are made new. Now, one of the highlights of the regeneration is that Jesus Christ will be sitting on his throne. Amen. So if you study the Bible, you go all the way to the end of the book, all the way throughout the timeline of human history and through uh, the book of Revelation. And Christ, at the end of it all, Christ will be sitting on his throne. What you also find is that creation will be made new. And so here, the first time we see the word regeneration, it's used in the regeneration of creation. There's coming a day when all of creation will be made new. Turn to Romans chapter 8. The regeneration of creation. There's coming a day when all of creation will be made new. Before we read the verse, I want you to, to think about this fact. When mankind sinned, the entire world was corrupted. Not just man was corrupted, creation was corrupted. Every pain, sorrow, and suffering was birthed from that first sin. The troubles you had this week, the difficulties in our world, the pain and suffering and sorrow and loneliness that you felt this week, all began with Adam and Eve's first sin. But not only was mankind corrupted, but when we study the scriptures, we find that creation was corrupted 
The Bible says when Adam sinned, it changed the garden. Now he would have to work in the sweat of his brow. Now the earth would not bring forth like it did before. Uh, roses didn't have thorns. There was no such thing as poison ivy. It never got too hot. It never got too cold. There were no thunderstorms and hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and droughts and floods. The earth was perfect. But sin changed all that. And all throughout creation, you sense and you can see the creation itself groaning and convulsing with the evidences of sin. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. It speaks of this truth and compares the, the salvation of man to one day creation will be saved in a sense as God makes it all new. Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature, that's a creation, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. So the, the earth is waiting for us to be redeemed too. Why? Verse 20, for the creature, creation, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. So creation didn't sin, but creation was dragged into the sin. Boy, that, that happens every day, doesn't it? Have you ever been hurt by someone else's sin? You didn't choose to sin, but you're hurt by it. It happens all the time. Creation itself was pulled in to sin. Verse 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. It's still going on. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. So our souls are saved, but we're waiting for the redemption of the body. We're waiting to be glorified when one day we will be rescued from this sinful flesh. We'll leave this sinful flesh behind and our salvation will find its end as we are with God in heaven, completely and totally delivered, not just from the power of sin, but from the presence of sin. Because in heaven there's no sin, amen? And the Bible says creation is waiting to be saved too. It's groaning just like you are. Like, Did you any time this week just say, man, man, I'm glad in heaven there's no pain. Man, I'm glad in heaven there's no bills to pay. I'm glad in heaven there's no... Man, there's just a part of me. I just can't wait to get to heaven. I can't wait to see my loved ones. That, that groaning where we kind of long for those days of perfection. The earth itself, the creature, creation itself is longing to be redeemed because it doesn't want to live this way either. And the Bible says one of these days it will be redeemed like we are because the Bible very clearly says that God will do away with this heaven and this earth and create the earth and heaven anew. Now turn to Revelation chapter 21. So I'm just laying a foundation here of regeneration. Regeneration means a rebirth, a renewing, to make new. And it's only used two times in Scripture, this word. And the first word talks about the regeneration of creation. Right? Revelation chapter 21 Chapters 21 and 22 begin talking about heaven, describing that heavenly city. What a beautiful day that's going to be. And look at Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. 
And I saw a, uh uh-oh, what's this? A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there is no more sea. See, God's going to regenerate creation. There's going to be a new heaven that is not affected with sin. There's going to be a new earth that is not affected by sin. This is the regeneration of creation. And one day, at the completion of our salvation, believers will be glorified, our bodies will be redeemed, We'll have a sinless, eternal body in heaven, and creation itself, heaven and earth, will be made new. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? So we see here that the scope of this word, regeneration, it's a big word. And it talks about making new, a new birth. The second time we see this verse mentioned is in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. So let's turn back there. Titus 3, 5. The regeneration of salvation. In this verse, the Bible word here is speaking about our salvation. Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the way, that's a great verse to memorize and use when you're talking to people about their soul people say well i think i'm going to heaven because i'm a good person well not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us well i think i'm going to heaven because i'm a good catholic or i'm a good baptist or you know i go to the congregational church down the road none of that's going to cut it not by works of righteousness which we've done so a great verse to memorize but then he goes on to say and a lot of people kind of skip over this part because they don't understand what it means But I'm going to show you what this verse means tonight in light of the Bible, or this morning. But according to His mercy, He saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Uh, First of all, let's talk about why we need salvation. Uh, Why why do we need regeneration? Look at verse 3. Before we define what regeneration here means and how we get it, let's look at why we need it. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That list of sins is an appropriate description of mankind. Now here's what we have to understand. If, If that bothers you, if you bristle at that, it might just be that you've, you've not been convinced that you're a sinner. And there's no salvation without you knowing you're a sinner. Until you admit that you are sick, you're not going to go to the doctor. Until you admit that you're a sinner, you're not going to need a Savior. And one thing about the Bible is it tells the truth about who we are. It not only tells the truth about God, it opens the door of the soul and takes a peek and reveals us to ourselves. You and I have lived this way sometimes. What does it mean? Disobedient or foolish. Foolish means unintelligent, sensual, and unwise. Foolish doesn't mean you don't have the capacity to think. It means that you keep making dumb decisions. It's not that you're you're not capable of making better decisions. You just keep making dumb ones. Foolish, unintelligent, unwise, 
sensual. We always make what the decisions by what feels good and what, what we think is going to make us happy. Well, if you're living that way, you're running down a dead-end road, friend. Foolish. Then the Bible says disobedient. What's that mean? It literally means unpersuadable. These are people who do what they want regardless of what anybody says, even God. You can't persuade them to act any different while they're disobedient. They're going to do what they want to do. You know anybody like that? You ever been there? He goes on to say deceived. Now deceived means literally to wander out of the way. Sinners are deceived by Satan. Satan has traps laid for us. Boy, you ever notice that Satan makes sin look so good? And that's why I worry about the children and the the teenagers, because especially if you've grown up in a Christian home, you haven't tasted what sin's really like yet. You watch it on TV, you you, you see little glimpses of it here and there, you, you see people in town look like they're having a good time. But don't be deceived, because sin hurts. And those of us who are adults, or perhaps those of us that didn't grow up in Christian homes, you know what sin feels like. We know the sting of it. But here's the crazy thing. Satan is so deceptive, and we have the capacity to deceive ourselves. Watch this. That even though I know how bad sin hurts, I can be convinced to try it again. Well, this time will be different. I'm smarter now. I got a handle on it now. I can handle it. Never. Never. And so these deceived people, they're wandering out of the way. He goes on to say, serving divers lusts and pleasures. The word serving there literally speaks of bondage or slavery. Slaves to divers just means different. Lust means the desire for the forbidden. God says don't do it, but you want to. God says you can't have it, but you want it anyway. Your parents say no, so now you want it more, right? And that's the thing about life. If you have a Mercedes, you want an Acura. If you have a Land Rover, you want a Hummer. If you have a a three-bedroom house, you want a four-bedroom house. We want what we can't have. It's human nature. But that's a slavery. You're married, but you want someone else. You're not married, but you want to treat someone like they are married. See, we always want what we can't have. But God says, walk the way, do it the right way, and pleasures come in their own time. And many people are in bondage to pleasure. How many people worked all week just so they get their paycheck on Friday and go to the bar? How many people woke up this morning and they're just trying to find a fix this afternoon? Feverishly right now trying to get a hold of the drug dealer so they can get their next hit. Some people might even be sitting here, but your mind's a thousand miles away because you have something fun planned after church. And there's maybe nothing wrong with it in itself, but it, that pleasure is taking you away from what truly matters. And so we must be careful. But this is an apt description of all of us, isn't it? Who were sinners and have flesh that still has these desires. But go on, it gets worse. Verse 3 goes on to say, living in malice and envy. Now what's malice? 
Malice means hurting others without cause. I hurt people because I want to. I get some joy. I get some pleasure out of watching other people hurt. Do you know anybody like that? I mean, they'll start something just to, because they think it's fun. They'll start an argument. They'll start a fight. They'll get things going. They'll hurt you. They'll, they'll say things. Some people, if they see you having a good day, it's their personal mission in life to ruin your day. Why is that? Malice. Why do we want to see other people suffer? It goes on to say envy. Envy is jealousy at the blessings of others. Well, they got a, they got a raise and I didn't. Well, they got a new car and I didn't. Well, they look, oh, look at that look at that dress. She looks nice. I don't have money to buy a dress. We pay bills. I bet she didn't pay her bills. I mean, it's like we can just get into all this. We begin to tell ourselves stories. We begin to, to oh, they bought, a, they bought a house, but ah, they can't do this. But they. God wants us to learn to be happy at the blessings of others, right? Rejoice when someone gets something that you don't have. Because if God wanted you to have it at that moment, he would have given it to you. Watch this. Envy is rebellion against God's plan for your life. God didn't give it to me, and I'm mad that he gave it to you. A lot of people live that way, don't they? You say, preacher, you're bringing us down. (laughs) No, we got to be brought down before we get brought up. Amen. And the Bible's honest with us. Look what it says. And this is sometimes we ourselves, we who were saved, sometimes we lived like this. The Bible goes on to say hateful. Literally, it means what it says, full of hate and hating one another. I grew up in a small country town. And people knew how to hold a grudge. I'm just telling you, country people, they know how to hold a grudge. That's not to say other people don't, but I'm telling you, refined people try to hide it. Country people don't care. They'll just tell you, oh, you're one of those? You got that last name? You know what your uncle did to me 13 years ago? Get off my property! You know, I mean, it's like Hatfields and the McCoys. But how many people, even refined people, have hatred in their heart for others? And whether they just let it out or they dress it up and try to hide it. This is the condition of mankind. This is why we need regeneration. Do you want to live this way? Do you want to stay in that bondage? Of course not. And God's answer, his solution is regeneration and as bad as this list is these sins are only a sampling of our transgressions against a holy god but then the bible goes on to say thankfully god tells you how it is and he tells us of impending judgment but then he always gives a way of salvation see how do we receive regeneration look back at titus chapter 3 and verse 4 we were in verse 3 these sinners verse 4 But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Hey, aren't you glad God loves you? Aren't you glad he doesn't leave you in your sin? The Bible says, but he commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died 
for us. Christ isn't waiting for you to get better before He saves you. He wants to save you to make you better. And thank God for that. We receive this regeneration through salvation. The wages of sin is death and hell, but the only hope of salvation is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that as a 16-year-old boy, on a Saturday night after a youth revival, God got a hold of my heart and I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ that night as a 16-year-old boy. Never been the same. Have I had struggles? Yes. Have I had trials? Yes. Have I sometimes gone forward and sometimes slid back? Absolutely. But I've never been the same. Why? Because at that moment of salvation, I was regenerated. I was made new. God gave me a new nature. And we can only receive regeneration, salvation, through the mercy of God. God showed His kindness and love toward man when man had earned judgment. Notice the verse here reminds us that good works can never erase your past sins and they cannot protect you from future sins. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. And I love this. Through an ultimate act of mercy, God made a way for us to escape eternal death. Let me warn you, if you're, if you're listening and, and you're not a Christian, the Bible says that the, the wrath of God is abiding on you. The Bible uses the term condemned, that you are reserved for destruction. You say, preacher, I don't like that. I'm not the one that said it. God said it, but don't get stuck there because God says you can get out from under that wrath anytime you want. You can, you can change that condemned building and get a brand new structure built through Jesus Christ. You can be renewed, regenerated, and born again through simple faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have you been saved? I'm not going to ask you when you were saved because... I don't know the date. But let me ask you this morning, where were you saved? Where were you saved? If you don't remember where you were born again, then you may not be. Don't place your eternal destiny on some vague memory or on what someone else told you happened, but you can't remember it. Only place your eternal soul on a memory that you know happened because you were there. Let me tell you something. When somebody as big as God moves in, you'll remember it. You'll remember it. Well, I I can't really remember. You'll remember it. I'm not not saying you're going to know the time and the date and all this and that and what the weather was like and and all this, and, but, but you ought to know, you know what, I was in my parents' bedroom, I, I was at a, an altar at church, I was at my couch, somebody led me to the Lord, I was, I was in a dorm room, and, and I read a track, and somebody, uh, and, and I knelt by my bed and got saved, I, I got led to the Lord at the quad, you are, you'll know where you were, or perhaps you weren't there at all. So we can only receive regeneration through Jesus Christ. Now let's get down to the end of the message 
and the crux of it, what is the beauty of regeneration? So we, we know that we need regeneration because we're sinners. We know that we can only be regenerated through Jesus Christ. And that's what verse 6 tells us, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we, we can only have hope of eternal life, verse 7, through Jesus Christ and through the mercy of God. But what is this thing called regeneration? As I said in the beginning, regeneration reinforces the doctrine of the new birth with a subtle but important difference. And that is conception emphasizes your relationship with the heavenly father. Regeneration highlights your brand new nature. So if you ever notice that your children tend to look like you, they will have some traits of the parents. They may not look exactly like one or the other might be a mix. They might even look like a grandma or like your parents or, or something, but they will have familial traits with you as a, uh, someone born with your DNA. And thus describes the idea of regeneration, that when we are born again, we are given a new nature. Now, Titus 3.5 tells us two miracles that happen at salvation. First of all, it says the washing of regeneration, and then it says the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So let me explain what these are so that we can go forward and deeper in this idea of, of uh, regeneration. So we know that every sinner is born again, must be born again by the Holy Spirit. Turn to John chapter 3. And I'm not going to belabor the point, but I want to show you a verse again in John chapter 3. Sometimes as Christians, we tend to gloss over the verses that are at first hard to be understood. For example, Titus 3, 5, people love the beginning of the verse, but oftentimes they, they shy away from the end of the verse because we don't even know what it means or what's this washing. Uh, and I'm going to explain this. Another verse in John chapter 3, uh, verse 6, is often uh, just kind of glossed over. Let's look at verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, that's Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you believe that? You've got to be born again. You have to have a new spiritual birth to go to heaven. Nicodemus was confused. Verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? I've said this many times. I think that ranks as probably one of the top ten dumbest questions ever asked by a human. All right, so Jesus is talking about a new birth, and Nicodemus has this thought of an adult man crawling back into his mother's womb. First of all, gross. All right, second of all, impossible. Third of all, it makes no sense at all. I mean, this is just a dumb question all the way around. But this is his picture. How can I, as an adult man, be born again? So Jesus begins to explain that he was talking about a spiritual birth. Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of what? Water. And of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And this is a beautiful thing because physically, if, if you've ever uh, had a child or, or uh, been married to someone who has a child, one way that you know that the baby's ready to be born is what happens? The water breaks. So there is water involved in physical birth, and there's water involved in the new birth, and there's a spirit involved in a physical birth. Something has to make your soul spark to life. 
That is the miracle of God. So the spirit and the water are involved in physical birth, and the spirit and the water are involved in spiritual birth. But Jesus here says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. In verse 7, he says again, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now, here's a thought. Anytime someone sees water in the Bible, their mind automatically goes to baptism. Right? Oh, water, that must signify baptism. And that's a mistake when you're studying the Word of God. Because sometimes things can have multiple symbolisms in the Scripture that are defined by the context. Okay? And so some people see water, and I've had people tell me, well, John chapter 3, it mentions water. That means you've got to be baptized to be saved. Some people look at John or Titus chapter 3, verse 5, and they say, well, the Bible says by the washing of regeneration, clearly that means baptism. Really? Why does it mean baptism? Is the word baptism used? Well, no. Well, how do you know it's talking about baptism? Well, it's talking about water. Don't make the mistake of jumping to conclusions so quickly whenever you're studying verses that don't mix or mesh with everything else you know to be true about the Bible. And this is why I love Bible study, because we can go deeper and deeper. Uh, Verses like this, if you believe that every reference of water in the Bible speaks of baptism, then that will lead you to believe that water baptism has saving power. And we know from the scriptures that baptism doesn't save you. It's an act of obedience after salvation. I'll quote a verse. 1 Peter 3.21, the like figure where even baptism doth also now save us. But wait a minute, not save our souls. It says not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. So salvation saves your, or excuse me, baptism saves your conscience, not your soul. And what is that conscience? It means that Jesus Christ saved me. Am I going to follow him? If, If you have been saved, but you refuse to follow Christ in Bible terms, you're a rascal. That's crooked. It's crooked for God to save your soul and then for you to take off and run. Just like you might say, well, uh, some, someone says, let's say you make a deal on, on a Craigslist or Marketplace and you say, well, I'll give you this thing if you pay me money. And then they pick up their thing and take off and you're left, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute, what, what happened? The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that Jesus bought you body, soul, and spirit. You and I belong to God. And as long as you're running from God like Jonah, you will have a dirty conscience knowing that you're crooked because you ought to be serving God. That's why a backslider can never be truly happy. That's why they run deeper into the drugs. They run deeper into the alcohol. They turn up the music louder. They stay away from church. Why? Because they know their conscience is afflicting them. The only way you're ever going to be happy, dear Christian, is by following Jesus. When you got saved, God ruined you for this world. You'll never be happy unless you're following Jesus, ever. Maybe for a time... Maybe you get enough of a reprieve where Satan can get you further down the road and further away from God. But I promise you, as sure as there is a God and he is alive, the wages of sin is death. And a backslider's life is a hard life. The way of transgressors is 
hard, the Bible says. So baptism saves our conscience, but it plays no part in the saving of the soul. Now, the water in John chapter 3 refers to the word of God. Just like the water in Titus chapter 3 verse 5 refers to the word of God. How do we know that? How can we be so sure? Water in the Bible is typically, not always, but often a symbol of the word of God. The washing of regeneration in Titus chapter 3 verse 5 speaks of water. And there's only one other Greek word for washing. The same word found in this verse is only found in one other scripture in the Bible. Now watch this. God doesn't do those things by accident. He leaves breadcrumbs so that if you really want to know what this means, God said, I've made it so clear. There's only one other time I've used this word washing. So if you want to know what the washing of regeneration is, look at the other verse that tells you what is doing the washing. All right, so let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. You still with me? I know we're going a little bit deeper today into some good doctrine, but trying to make it easy to follow. Ephesians chapter 5. And the only other time this word washing is used in the Bible is in Ephesians 5.26. All right, Ephesians 5.26. Let's read it together. Ready? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. Wait a minute. By the word. What's doing the washing? The word. The word is doing the washing. This is speaking of the cleansing power of the word of God. There's other verses that talk about that. I'll just mention this one for you. You can write it down. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. See, the old, uh, all throughout the Bible it talks about the cleansing power of the word of God. You want to be clean? You need the word of God. You want your soul clean? You need the word of God. You want to be a clean Christian? You need the word of God. You want a clean life? You need the word of God. The, the Bible is very clear that the word of God is a necessary element in the new birth. And here we see the washing of the water by the word. By the way, let me, let me give you this little tidbit. Baptism is not referred to as washing, having any type of cleansing power in the Bible. It's not, baptism is not a cleansing agent. The blood cleanses and the word cleanses. Look at, at 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. The word of God is necessary element in the new birth. So Titus chapter 3 mentions the renewing of the Holy Ghost and the washing of regeneration. John chapter 3 verse 5 talks about the, the water and the spirit. And so we know that the word of God and the Holy Spirit are necessary for the new birth to take place. All right, look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. If you're there, say amen. All right, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again, there's the new birth, unto a lively hope, a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now here's a beautiful truth. 
the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave is the same power that takes your dead spirit and regenerates it and births it again into the family of God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that helps us to be born again. We believe the gospel. The Holy Spirit is necessary to create life, just like resurrecting Jesus from the dead. He resurrects our dead spirits. Now look at verse 23. Another reference to being born again here in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse... Let's look at verse... Man, it's all good. Come on. All right, look at verse 21. Who by him do believe in God that raised up that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. So it's through Jesus Christ that we have faith in Christ and have faith in God. Verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls, that's salvation, in obeying the truth, that's the gospel, through the spirit, the spirit's necessary for salvation unto unfeigned love of the brethren. That's one of the biggest results of being saved is that you love other Christians. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, right? If you love one another, all right? So, uh, look, but look at, and then it says, with a pure heart fervently. Verse 23, being born again. There's the new birth. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. What's this incorruptible seed? By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So here we have it. The word of God is necessary for you to be saved. Romans chapter 10 says the same thing, that God wants us to be saved, but how shall they hear without a preacher? You must hear the word of God. You must hear your need of Christ and that you're a sinner. You must know that Jesus Christ died for you. You must know that it's available, and you're not going to get saved if you don't know the word because salvation requires the incorruptible word of God and the Holy Spirit working in unison to revive our dead spirits. And we're born again. Isn't that good news? There's a lot happening when you got saved. On our end, we just humble ourselves, repent, acknowledging we're a sinner and we need a Savior, and we trust Jesus. Man, that's, that's, that's all I did. But man, let me tell you, God's working overtime when you got saved. There's a lot of things happening in the background. That's why we're talking about this beauty of salvation, because salvation is not just wonderful. It's not just practical. It is absolutely beautiful. So we're born again. And the word and the spirit are necessary for the new birth. Now, let me finish up by giving you this last thought. We, we talked about that conception, the new birth focuses on our new relationship with God. But regeneration talks about our new nature. It it highlights our new nature. When you get saved, there's a part of you that is eternally different. It will never be the same. Now, this old flesh is the same. You look in the mirror, it's the same old face, same old hands, same house. After we get saved, some of us is the same. This old flesh doesn't get saved, amen? Uh, it, It won't get saved. One of these days, we'll drop this flesh and rise and receive our everlasting prize, we'll get a new heavenly body. But there's a part of you when, you, when you trust Jesus Christ, there's a part of you that is regenerated. It is made new in the likeness of God himself. 
And this is beautiful. Isn't that what the scripture says? Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There's a part of you that is brand new. And, and one of the ideas of regeneration, and this is a cool thought, is regened. To be regened, to be made new. Now, without getting too deep into the biology, a gene is a unit of heredity which is transferred one from a parent to offspring. And the gene determines some characteristics of the offspring. For example, I look somewhat like my mother and father. My build is somewhat based on my mother and father, depending on how God combined all that genetic material. God, according to his book, decided in eternity past what Paul Chapman would look like, but he used genes as the building block to make me who I am today. When, when my children were conceived, some of my genetic material, some of my wife's genetic material were combined by God to make them who they are, but they carry traits of both mother and father. Amen? When you are born again, there is a part of you that is generated but it, it carries the spiritual DNA of God Almighty. You carry the genes, if you will, metaphorically speaking, of God. There's a part of you, inside of you, that you and I can't see, if you're truly born again, that is created in the eternal image of God. And that's the part of you that becomes a new creature. Turn to 1 John chapter 5. <clears throat> is this interesting to you? It is fascinating to me. And encouraging. Because if you're like me, sometimes you just feel lousy, right? You ever look in the mirror and you're like, you're a lousy dude. I mean, or a dudette, you know, depending. And, uh, man, I don't even like you very much. I can't believe I did that. I don't, you know, we, we get frustrated with ourselves. Man, there's a part of you that is so beautiful and so wonderful, and it happened the moment you were saved. Look at First John chapter 5. <clears throat> We find that this new nature is eternal like God. Verse 20, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. So talking about believing in Jesus. This is the true God and eternal life. See, when you believe in the true God, when you believe in the true Savior, you get eternal life. You right now, if you're saved, you are living eternally. There is a part of you that is currently living forever. You're not going to get eternal life one day. There is a part of you that will never die. So one of these days, if, if Jesus doesn't come back, this old flesh is going to be laying in a casket somewhere. But I won't be dead. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 11. He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. There's a part of you that's living forever. Why? Because that, that new regenerated part of you is eternal, just like God. All right, then let's look at... <clears throat> we, we find out that the new nature is righteous like God. Don't turn there for time's sake, but let me just quote this. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. That ye put off the former conversation, the old man, that's the old nature, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, that's the new part of you that's regenerated, that takes after God, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. See, there's a part of you that wants to live right if you're saved. 
There's a part of you that loves being in church. There's a part of you that loves church songs. I mean, there's a part of you that loves being around church people. There's a part of you that loves the Bible, and you love preaching, and you love the idea of heaven. But wait, there's a part of you that hates church, and that hates church songs, and you find God boring, and you'd rather be anywhere else than here. And what you find is, however you feel right now is dependent upon whether you have put on the old man or you have put on the new man. You have a choice. Because this new part of us, this redeemed part of us, is still wrapped in this cocoon of flesh. And God says, I give you the choice every day. Do you want to live according to your new nature, which is eternal and righteous and holy? Or do you want to live according to the old nature, which is corrupt and perverse? Choice is yours. Let me show you this last thought. 1 John chapter 3. This is another one of those verses that people tend to shy away from because they're not quite sure what it means. And look at verse 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous as he, God, is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose was the Son of God, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested or made known, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9 Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Wait a minute. The Bible just said a, a Christian can't sin? That's what it looks like at first glance. But again, that's why we study the scripture. Amen. We rightly divide the word we study the word of god so that we can know it properly this verse some people take this verse to mean that christians never sin think about that if christians never sin then you ain't one right if christians never sin i'm not one And what happens is when people believe that doctrine and they say, well, I never sin. You'll actually hear people say that they begin to become hypocrites and just hide their sin or rename their sin while trying to call themselves righteous. The truth is, there's nobody on earth that never sins. So we know by other scriptures that that's not what this verse means. Some people say, well, this verse means that if you. If you commit sin, then you're not saved. Well, that can't be true. Where's room for backsliding? Where's room for repentance? Where's room for getting forgiveness from God as his child? We know that's not true. What does this verse mean? Let me just break it down to you very carefully. First of all, we know that righteousness... Trying to live like God is one of the traits of someone who's saved. You know, if my children live in my home, they're going to take on the behaviors and and try to follow the rules of my house. Amen. If they don't, there's going to be a problem. And if you're truly a child of God and you want to be a good child, you begin trying to live by God's rules. That, that's one of the traits that you, you're his. You belong to him. Now, if you're trying to live by the devil's rules and say you're living in God's house, we got a problem. So, so here's the thought. There's room for backsliding because we do it. 
there's room. We know that Christians sin, but there's an interesting play on words here that is so wonderful in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Now, the word commit there in the English, it's present tense, but in the Greek, it's in the continual linear present tense, which means commit and 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 just never stop committing sin. You just never stop. What does this mean? This means that sin is the course of their life. Sin is their business. They are a slave to sin. Now we know that's not true of a Christian. So watch this. A Christian can sin, but a Christian doesn't continue in sin without ever stopping, without there being no change. Here's what happens if you're a Christian, you can still sin, but you get convicted and you get chastised. Right? I've known people that are involved in sin, and one of the ways you know that they're saved is because they're under conviction about it. I I know I shouldn't live this way. I, I don't know how I ended up here. I can't believe I never thought my life would be like this. Or I know, preacher, I need to get that straightened out. They acknowledge that they're in sin. Someone who makes sin their business, their entire life is characterized by sin, and they have no remorse for it, They have no understanding that it's sin. It doesn't bother them at all. And God is not chastising them. The Bible says if you're not chastised of God, you're not his child. So someone who's a backslider can get involved in sin, but they get convicted over it. Or even if they're not convicted and they harden their heart, God will judge them for it. I've known Christians who are unrepentant in sin, but then God brings a hammer down. Right? But the Bible here is saying it is impossible for a child of God to make sin the absolute course of their life with no remorse and no correction. But then let's move on. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. We don't live that way. We sin, but we don't commit and commit and commit and commit and commit without conviction and correction. Watch this. Why why can't we live that way? For his, that's God's, seed remaineth in him, that's the sinner. Why can we never just make sin the course of our life and be, be happy in sin without conviction and correction? Because God's seed is in you. There's a part of you that God put in you when you were born again that is just like God. It's eternal, it's righteous, it's holy. And then read on. And he, that part of you, that seed in you, cannot sin. Why? Because he, that new man, is born of God. So this is why sometimes you hear me say, there's a part of you that can't sin. The regenerated part of you cannot sin. Sin doesn't stick to it. Why? It's got the righteousness of Christ. But there's a part of you that loves to sin and it wants to sin. That's the old nature. That's why Galatians chapter five talks about the war between the lust of the flesh and walking in the spirit. And every day you and I get to decide, are we going to put on the old man 
and walk in a corrupt way or put on the new man and walk after Jesus. A believer cannot happily live in sin because they have a new nature. This seed is the regenerated part of the Christian. It's the new man. So I want to encourage you this morning. There is a part of you that can't sin. There's a part of you that wants to do right. And let me just finish by saying this. You're a new creature in Christ. You've been washed by the word and renewed by the spirit. There's a part of you that is eternal, sinless, and made in the righteous and holy image of God. Choose to live according to that part of you, not the corrupt part of you. And regeneration focuses on and highlights you have a new DNA. You have a part of you that is just like God. That's a blessing. Let's bow for prayer. Father, let's help us to focus on that part of us, help us to put on the new man. I fear I've gone a little long this morning, and I appreciate the people wanting to listen. Uh, But Lord, we just ask that you would redeem the time, help us to enjoy church and enjoy preaching and, and enjoy fellowship with one another. Lord, thank you for the truth. Thank you that when we are saved, there's a part of us that's new. And it's just like you. And just like I have characteristics of my family, we have the characteristics of God within us. Help us to choose to focus according, to live according to the new man, to put off the old man, to mortify the deeds of the flesh, and to live according to righteousness and true holiness. Thank you for regenerating us at salvation heads are bowed eyes are closed of course if you're here this morning not sure you're saved we'd love to take a bible and show you how you can know for sure if you're here this morning and you are saved boy would you take just a moment and thank god for so thoroughly saving you i mean just so he's so thorough it's it's so deep that we can't even begin to comprehend but there is a part of you maybe you didn't even know it was there and understand all the newness of life that comes with salvation, but there is a part of you that's made in the very image of God, eternal, sinless, righteous, holy. That part of you. Focus to live according to that part. Give that part of you the leadership role in your life. And thank God for saving you. Let's stand. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Let's stand. As a